If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 816. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read verses 56 and 57. Paul writes, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's some subjects that we would rather not talk about. Some subjects we would rather just kind of avoid and pretend like they're not an issue in life or that that cause controversy or division. And some of those things that we've been kind of conditioned not to talk about are those that we would think off the top of our head. Politics. Nothing can kind of like shut down a, a social dinner like someone throwing their political opinions out there. Sometimes religion. Perhaps this morning you would add football to the list. Right? There are those things that sometimes we would just rather not talk about them. And I think death is certainly on the list. Death is one of those things that you and I, we know, like we know it's a thing. We know it's something that, barring Jesus returning, each of us will experience, but, but we would rather just kind of not talk about it. We'd rather not think about it if we don't have to. But it's always there kind of in the background of our lives. And I experience it in different ways. I, for example, I love to drive over to Homewood and eat at Johnny's. But I have to pass by what? Right out. <laughs> I drive by and there's the funeral home as I'm like on my way to eat. And it's just kind of one of those things a lot of times... If you don't know this, there's a good parking spot right beside the funeral home. You can just walk down to John. Anyway, but it's there, and I see it, and I might even see the hearse parked out. I might even see a family getting ready for a procession. But I see it, and I kind of just flush it to the back. It's one of those things that I know that one day i got to deal with, but I'd rather not talk about it or think about it. And I understand that impulse in our lives to kind of just not want to talk about this obvious thing that's in the room with us. But the truth of the matter is, the things that we don't talk about, something is going to fill the vacuum. And we're going to develop understandings of death, and we're going to think about what our hope is. And if we're not careful, then like pictures that we see at well-meaning Christian bookstores will start to shape what we think about heaven. And we see uh, baby angels floating up on clouds, and there's all these things. And really there is, for you and for me, real significance in us having a theology and understanding what we think about death, what the Christian hope is that we have, and why in the world it's important that we think about it. And in one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tackles head-on the issue of death and why the resurrection of Jesus is so important and why it is that you and I can have hope even in the face of death. Now, Paul starts 1 Corinthians 15 by reminding the believers in Corinth of what the gospel is that he preached to them. I told the first service that I feel this obligation, this responsibility that everyone at Mount Root Baptist Church knows what the word gospel means. So the word gospel just means what? Good news. Okay. 
So Paul says, I just want to remind you of this good news that I first preached to you, this good news that you first believed, this good news that you received, this good news in which you stand. And then he talks about what the good news is. And listen to what he says in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to lots more people. So there's three elements here, at least in the Gospel of Four, that Paul talks about that are important. One, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That you and I, like we talked about last week, are dead in our sin. That we needed Jesus to come and die in our place. And so Paul says, Jesus died. And then he says he was buried. Now you and I, if we're not careful, we can gloss over Paul saying that. That he, that he died, that he was buried. But Paul is saying, effectively, Jesus was really dead. It wasn't kind of some figment of somebody's imagination. It wasn't just kind of this story. Jesus died and he was buried. And people in the first century knew death better than you and I know death. What's the average life expectancy now? 70-something, maybe? We're doing a lot better than people in the first century, just let me tell you. And so they were around death a whole lot more than, than you and I are in terms of being up close and personal with it. And so he's just saying, Jesus died, he was really dead, he was buried, and then what happened? He was raised to life on the third day. That still should hit you like, what? He was raised to life on the third day. How many of you have been to a funeral? How many of you have ever seen anyone raised from the dead? No. And they weren't expecting it either. And he says, on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And then I, I've kind of often overlooked that next part. Then he appeared to people. Like I was like, okay, I've got life, death, and resurrection is important. But he says, also part of the gospel is that he appeared to people. He appeared to his disciples, and then he appeared to lots of other people. And Paul is just kind of saying, hey, this didn't happen like a secret in a vacuum somewhere. We, we, we kind of did this off in the far reaches that nobody could see Jesus, but that Jesus was raised from the dead, and a lot of people saw him, and a lot of people knew about it. And Jesus did, we'll talk about this in a minute, lots of interesting things to his resurrected body. One of the things he did was he ate with his disciples. Imagine that. Jesus in his resurrected body was with his disciples. They caught some fish. He shows up. How's it going, guys? By the way, do you have anything to eat? I'm hungry. But he also walked through doors. I don't know. All he's saying is that, Paul, that Jesus had this resurrected body, and he appeared to people, and he was real, and they engaged with him. And this is part of the gospel, the good news. And now Paul's going to start defending why it's so important. Remember he said, I delivered to you as of first importance these things. Christ died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and he appeared to all these people. And it's important that you and I understand that this is a matter of first importance. Are there some things that you and I and other Christians can disagree upon? We do. <laughs> 
right? There are these things that we all sometimes disagree on, but Paul says this is fundamental. Like this is bedrock, baseline Christianity that we have to agree on, and it's essential. And now he's going to start talking about why, because there were people in Corinth who were saying that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They're saying that the resurrection is not really a thing, and maybe it wasn't even that important. And so Paul, in a manner in which he was prone to do, comes out guns blazing in defense of the resurrection of Jesus. And he doesn't allow us to have some kind of sentimental, emotional understanding of Christianity apart from God actively at work in our world doing the miraculous like raising Jesus from the dead. And so he starts talking about if there is truth to this claim that Jesus was not raised from the dead, then nobody's been raised from the dead. Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. And then he says this in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Did you hear what he said? If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins. We do not have forgiveness. Those who have gone before us have no reason for hope. Our faith is futile. Skip down um, in verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, none of us should be here this morning. You should be doing something else worthy of the limited time that God's given you. I had a professor in seminary named Mark Genelette, and lots of y'all have met Mark. He's preached here before several times. Really smart guy. But I remember in one of his classes, he was talking about the resurrection. And he had one of those moments. You ever been with professors where they take their glasses off? You know, like, took the glasses off and leaned over. He said, class, if anybody ever shows up and they really have found the bones of Jesus, we should all get a first-class ticket to Las Vegas and just go live it up. And that's what Paul is saying. That apart from the reality of the resurrection, you and I ought to just go out in the world because you don't have much time and you don't know when death is coming and you ought to go make the most of it. No sentimental kind of like, yeah, let's believe in our hearts about Jesus apart from the reality of what God has done in raising him from the dead. And then Paul starts talking about what is true because of the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the part where I really think you should lean in and think hard about how it is that you understand your hope in Christ because of the resurrection. And he starts answering the question in verse 35, what does it look like? How do we understand what our bodies are like after the resurrection of Jesus? Listen to what he says in 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body did they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. He uses agricultural metaphors to help us try to wrap our minds around what it's like when we get our resurrected bodies. And he talks about the fact that our bodies are sown in dishonor and in weakness. And this is a reality that you and I grapple with, isn't it? My father-in-law one time, he said lots of funny things, but he said, one of the things I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven is why I have to get so ugly as I get old. Why can't I just get better looking every year, right? But we see it. We see the decay at work in our bodies even now, don't we? We see kind of this gradual, you know, going downhill on the other side of the, other side of the hill in a way. And when death comes, if you've been up close and personal to see that, it is not a, a beautiful thing to see, is it? We see our glory fade and we see our bodies break down and we're sown in weakness. And then he says, but we're raised in a different way. I use this imagery in my own mind of acorns. In my, own, my old house, you know what kind of trees I had in the backyard? Anybody? Oak trees. What's one of the worst things about having an oak tree in your yard? Anybody know? They're terribly messy. They have those little small leaves. They also have acorns. Every now and then, an acorn would make its way into the flower bed, and it would work its way deep down, probably from those terrible squirrels that ran around in my backyard. And then in my flower bed, I would see these trees, little bitty trees start to pop up, right? And I'd have to be like, all right, am I going to do this again? And i go and pull all those things out. And every now and then, when I would pull it out, you could see like the start, like the acorn had started busting open and this plant started coming out of it. Have you seen that? Paul is helping us to see that, that in a similar way, when we are buried, when we die, when we pass from this earth, our, our bodies are sown into the ground, so to speak. Our bodies decay. They're buried in dishonor. But one day, when Jesus Christ returns, we will be raised. And it will be similar and connected, but, but quite different from what you and I experience in this life. And I really do think you all, when you think about the resurrection of the dead, I think you should really think Genesis 1 and 2 in your minds again. Like I remember, I usually think about death and burial and resurrection kind of like uh, the Michael Jackson video thriller. I kind of thought they would just put me down on the ground. Jesus would come back and I'd just kind of like float up. And you're like... I'm so happy to be here, right? And I think in our minds we have such a small understanding of the miracle that will be at work when Jesus returns and we are raised with these new imperishable bodies that you and I ought to think a lot more like Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and God said, let there be and there was. Now, can you imagine sitting there? I don't know where you would sit. Nothing was created yet. Could you imagine like floating there and seeing all of creation spoken into being? Everything come in. I think 
that the new creation, when Jesus returns, is going to be much more like that. And you and I will just be in awe at God's power on display at these resurrected bodies that you and I have. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But hold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. See, here's the thing. Even if you're here when Jesus returns, you still have to be changed. You still have to be given this glorified body to be in the Lord's presence forever. You're going to be transformed in some way. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? So when Christ returns and you and I are raised, and here's the thing, I think we get the same kind of body that Jesus has right now. That Jesus right now is somewhere physically. I don't know where. In the presence of the Father. And that you and I get that same type of resurrection body when Christ returns and you and I are raised to new life. It's nothing short of this miracle that God does in our lives. The same power of the resurrection that helps us see and believe and come to faith in Jesus will be the same power that raises us to new life. And this whole idea of us being more conformed to the image of Jesus in a spiritual way, I think also comes true in a physical way, ultimately. And on that day, we'll say, Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, here's the thing I want you to walk away with in part two, is that that song is not yet our song. The song in 1 Corinthians 15, I heard a preacher say this years ago, and it stuck with me, that at the moment, the song in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's not yet our song, is it? That if we are all still here this time next year, on the All Saints Day of Remembrance, guess what will have happened over the course of that year? Some of us will have died. And when that happens, you and I do not have to be, we're not called to be these kind of stoic people in the face of death. We're not called to be like, it's okay. Wings with Jesus. (laughs) There ought to be in us a grief that comes to us when someone that we love and that we see God's grace and their gift of God in our lives, that we ought to grieve their passing. And I take that from Jesus' own life. When Lazarus died, what did Jesus do? He cried. He was sad at the effects of death and sin in the world. So it's okay for us to feel that way. And you don't have to kind of be like, yep, I'm fine. I'm fine, you're fine, we're fine. But we're not in those moments, and we grieve. 
But I also don't think that we should be given to grief such that we don't have any hope and joy in the face of death. But there is this belief that you and I have that one day Christ will return and death will not have the last word. And on that day, I can't, I can't wait for that day. That we'll sing this song, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's kind of this mocking song of death personified. Death, you've had your time, but no more. And that Christian hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the hope that we have in this life. And the difference that it makes for us is that it clarifies what's important. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, all that we do for God and his kingdom as we proclaim the gospel and see people drawn to him in faith, none of that ultimately is in vain. And so we press on like Paul. We fight the good fight and we run the race and we trust that one day Christ will come and make all things new. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, that you have died for our sins, that you were buried, that you were raised in the power of the Spirit, and that you verified the resurrection by appearing to people that we could see and understand and we could have this recorded account of the difference that the resurrection makes in our lives. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be more faithful in understanding what death is and what it's not and understanding where our hope is. We thank you for those who have gone before us, whose faith has become sight. We thank you for the difference that they made in our church, in our families, and in this world for your kingdom. We thank you that even now they are in your presence and one day they will be raised with glorious immortal, imperishable bodies. We pray for us in the day between now and your return or the day between now and our death, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to the mission that you've given us to proclaim salvation and new life and the eternal hope available to everybody through faith in Christ. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to be immovable. Help us to continue to be faithful and to live for things that matter, trusting that our labor is not in vain. And we offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.